This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Now we are going to have an interesting conversation understanding African feminism. It's one thing to talk Africa day and all, but it's so important to delve into some nuanced conversations that unpack different, uh, you know, f- points of focus that we should be applying ourselves to. And some, sometimes people often ask the question, what is African feminism and how is it different from Western feminism? But at the same time, a colleague of mine was actually uh, saying earlier, I bumped into Messi and I said, we'll talk about African feminism. He's like, and then how do we make sure that you know we keep putting the wood in the fire of african feminism uh, it can only be him uh, using words like that my guest is feminist scholar Khurata changeta good morning and welcome to power talk good morning thanks for having me no thank you for making the time i mean i just want to probably Khurata, start off by saying uh, this is a loaded term and you've written in this area traced the you know various strands even going to pre-colonial African feminism, which, uh, you know, you say, although they were feminist in the sense of the verb feminist, the first wave of self-defined African feminist ideologically and politically emerged later, as always, before something uh, is given its conceptual meaning, it has been in existence for some time. When we talk about African feminism, uh, what are we talking about? So the first thing I just want to state is that Within feminist movements overall, globally, there are always multiple feminisms. And this is just part and parcel of having a movement that critiques itself. So there are always going to be new strands of feminism coming up because feminism aims to critique itself and to do better where possible. So in the case of African feminism, how I would define it would be to say it's the African uh, movement against gender-based violence um, in favor of gender equality, and basically a movement that stands against all different kinds of oppressions that have to do with gender. Now, when we go back to pre-colonial African feminism, which are the figures that uh, that you refer to uh, as having embraced this posture? And what is it about their lives, uh, if any stories you can share with us, that, you know, uh, are evidence of this uh, African feminism? So one of the biggest, I think, factors of features of African feminism today is that a lot of it is coming out of the decolonial movement. So the way that one can understand African feminism as it exists is that it's also a movement against colonialism because we understand as African feminists that the way we understand gender now has actually been imposed on us through the impact of colonization um, across the various countries in the continent. So when we look at pre-colonial Africa, where we start seeing um, evidence of the different kind of worlds that we'd like to see where we don't have gender oppression, Mm. we have a situation where uh, there are lots of scholars who've done work on what gender relations were like uh, pre-colonially. And when we draw from this evidence, what happens is that 
we start to really see what it means to say that gender is a social construct. Because if you look at pre-colonial societies that have been studied, whether it be in South Africa, in Nigeria, or in other parts of the continent, there were different ways that we as African people understood gender. So um, to give an example, yes. one of the scholars who's worked on this is a Nigerian author named uh, Oyoronke Oyewumi. And what she started to uncover in her society in Nigeria is that when she traced the way that society was organized, she, thought, she, she came to the conclusion that um, gender wasn't the most important way of organizing society. Mm. So we are in the society where whether you're a man or a woman is very, very important. It gets written on your ID. It gets written on your birth certificate, and it becomes a very important part of how you live your life, how you dress, how you present yourself. Mm. But she was talking about how in her society, gender was not the most significant factor, and that actually you had to earn seniority in certain ways. So it was more about the different acts that you did as a member of society that would get you recognition. And it wasn't this um, predisposed situation where uh, men are given more power because they are men and women are assumed inferior because they are women. Now, it seems as if then there is a movement to, as you say, gender being a social construct, there is a movement and a deliberate intention uh, to actually, you know, uh, illuminate gender as part of organizing society. You also even go on to talk about uh, patriarchal imperialist expansion, uh, perhaps. Uh, can you take us through at what point you believe that gender was sort of elevated into some pride of place to probably give rise to such things as patriarchy and ensure that, you know, there's this uh, male dominance as well in society? Sure thing. So referring back to uh, Professor Oyoumi, basically when she conducted her study, um, what she was trying to, to show was that it was through colonialism in her society in Nigeria that people actually started to make gender the way that they organize society and the way that they see each other. Um, another thing that is, I think, significant in this is that the reason African feminism is opposing uh, the system of colonialism and, you know, its afterlife is that what has happened through colonialism is that our gender histories and our histories as African people have been lost, suppressed, and also uh, misrepresented. So for instance, even when we go through the archives as scholars, what we end up finding is that a lot of what we know as African people about um, you know, African practices before colonialism was written by the people who colonized us because they are the ones who were having the power to write and their records get um, kept over time. So the problem with that is also that um, what happens is that they have misrepresented gender relations over time. So for instance, the fact that 
they may they had a gender system. They had the gender system where men were important and mm. superior and women were to do the domestic labor. So when they came to Africa and saw our gender systems, they imposed those on us, even in the writing of the history. So um, there is a scholar, I believe his name is Robert Ed- Edgerton, who actually shows how they didn't, they wouldn't have understood how we understood each other as societies because they came in and then they would say, well, what are the men doing? And yeah. then assume that that is how, that is what the patriarchs are doing. So there's also that um, important revision of African history, which is something that um, I, a lot of scholars I know are trying to actually get um to change over time in their own research Mm. so that we can actually have evidence of our own resistance and of our own cultural practices. Not to say that um, like pre-colonial Africa was a utopia, but just to say that this specific society doesn't have to be that way. And we know because we know that pre-colonially, things were different. And Hulata, do you think if we can go back to understanding those strands and ways of, you know, social organization in in pre-colonial times, it could help us probably make some headway insofar as, you know, uh, dealing with some issues that we confront in our society presently? That's a really good question, Makona. I think it's a bit complicated. Or let me say I'm in two minds. On one hand, as a scholar myself, I think it's extremely important for us to investigate our own histories. Um, the scholars that I know, you know, they speak to elders in their communities. They research um, black women writers who are publishing in the 1960s and, you know, in times where um, most black people were suppressed. And so there's a very important um, role that looking to history and dismantling history, um, as it is commonly understood, has to play in African feminism. At the same time, I don't think that the movement against, you know, the issues that we face today, such as gender-based violence, yeah. is completely dependent on us going back. Because one of the things that I've encountered as a, um, a young scholar is yes. that there is a limitation on what we can find because the whole point of colonization was to destroy our histories. And the unfortunate fact is that to an extent that has been done. So, you know, we have to also just use the resources we currently have to insist that society can be different and that we have to rewrite the narrative today. It's not only about history. Yeah because the problems are persisting in the present. It's also about throwing forward. My guest is uh, Hurata Chenget, a feminist scholar, just understanding uh, African feminism on this day, Africa Day. If you have any thoughts and questions to put to her, that line is 0861-987-000. Hurata, I'll be back with you just after this short ad break. Power Talk with Lukwana Mgumi. Weekdays, 9 a.m. to noon on Power 98.7.
Indeed, on this Africa Day, it is 23 minutes past 10 here on Power 98.7. The line to dial is 0861-987-000. My guest is feminist scholar Hurata Chengeta. Hurata, probably uh, let me ask you we, about the strands now that we see. I mean, we see the strand of radical African feminism. We see the strands of grassroots African feminism and, and, and so on. Uh, what can you sort of unpack? I mean, not in an exhaustive way about some of the strands that we see and what seems to be an emerging fourth wave of African feminism. Sure thing. I think one of the biggest features that maybe makes African feminism today um, intimidating to maybe people who are not familiar is that it feels like it's about so many different issues. Mm. And that's because, you know, we are faced with so many different issues and feminism has taken, has nominated itself to solve those issues. Um, One of the things that I particularly think is important, um, which is part of African feminism, but is also found in um, indigenous feminism uh, in America right now, is the call to be connected to the land. So the idea is that um, through colonialism, human beings have actually become disconnected to their connection with the land. And as a result, we see the kinds of exploitation um, because we see ourselves as superior to nature rather than part of nature. So within African feminism, you know, we have um, a lot of people who are environmental activists, um, for lack of a better term, who are not um, necessarily rooted in, you know, scholarship of environmental justice or something, stuff like that, Mm. but who understand the importance of land based on the fact that it is how we have connected to our ancestors, and also, it's just how we see ourselves as people. Um, so there are a lot of um, activists who are women who are actually involved in the movement um, to preserve the land and to also um, prevent uh, giant uh, mining companies and other companies who want to exploit lands for profit um, doing that sort of work. And then I think another important Um, development within African feminism today is um, the understanding that, you know, gender is not only a social construct, but is something that African people have moved through fluidly over time. Mm. So the idea is that um, across society, a lot of the movement against um, homophobia and transphobia, the discrimination against gay people, um, queer people, Mm. and transgender people, some may claim that that movement is an import from the West. But as African feminists, we understand that actually we had very different and more complex gender identities compared um, in like pre-colonial society compared to today. So for us, reclaiming Um, homosexuality and gender fluidity isn't um, something that we're doing as, you know, copying from the West. We actually understand it from the point of it being 
a form of resistance against colonialism. Unlike those who would so, probably term it as being an African and all of that. Yeah. Uh, I've got uh, Steve on the line. Just please listen in. Steve, good morning. Hi, good morning, Lucan, and good morning to your guests. Uh, in the South African context, when you talk pre-colonial history, I think the one figure, you know, that uh, looms large mm. is Nongaose. And I'm just wondering whether your guest would characterize Nongaose as a 19th century feminist. Uh, that's the one. The second is that in South Africa, we have, you know, a lot of evidence, you know, of women, you know, taking charge of, of affairs. And in the 1920s in the trans sky, you know, you had an old woman organization called Amafelanda Oye. Mm. And, you know, you think about, you know, the popular unrest in the area at the time. You know, it is women who were in the forefront of it. Uh, prophetess Nonteta would come to mind too. How is it that we don't, you know, uh, appropriate, you know, these histor- this historical archive, you know, to create a completely different understanding of gender. Okay. It, you know. Okay. Steve, thank you very much. I want to make sure that Khurada uh, has a chance to respond to that. Uh, over to you, Khurada. Thanks, Steve. Those are great questions. Um, I think that on the issue of non-Kause, this is not really my specialty, so I can't um, speak much on that. But from observing my scholars, my fellow scholars who are doing this work, mm. I think that what's important is that over time, the narrative about her has changed. And also we have people who are looking into what it means. And I think the takeaway is that she is being seen, not for the first time, but she's being recognized more and more as an important historical figure, mm. which is also something that we are working on in feminism, to give women their due rights in history and to also correct misperceptions that may have persisted. So this is also related to Steve's second question about how we aren't accessing the archives to create this um, more comprehensive idea of gender. So one of the things that African feminists are trying to do at the moment is to reclaim... Um, our histories of resistance. So, for instance, you cannot tell us as African feminists that what we are doing is an import of, you know, Western society and we're just copying them, Mm. or that feminism is un-African. When we had, in the age before social media, masses of women organized the Women's March decades ago. You know, we have those histories and we are working on um, excavating them and excavating the untold stories um, so that everyone knows about them. The challenge that we face is that, firstly, change does take time and it takes resources. And a lot of times women aren't necessarily um, given access to those resources. So, for instance, when we talk about the fees must fall struggle, you know, the fact that people can't pay fees means that they don't have access to study further, and they don't have access to dig into those archives and do the work that needs to be done in okay. order for us to make this mainstream. Kurada, thank you so much. Unfortunately, I'm out of time, but I definitely think we need to pick up this conversation for a part two. Thanks. That's sure feminist thanks. scholar Khurata Chengeta uh, just uh, concluding there, understanding African feminism on this Africa Day. 
You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.